anxiety, I think, has gotten a bad rap. And like any emotion, it serves a purpose. It's just a little bit misunderstood. So I really wanted to dig deeper into that and see what the integrative approaches were for dealing and mitigating anxiety. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Brianna, welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. How are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. We've rescheduled this a few times, a so few. I'm excited. <laughs> You're one of my favorite people on Instagram and in real time, so I'm honored and grateful and excited to be here. Thanks for coming back on. We last spoke in episode 73. I think we're now going to be on like episode 140 something. You have been busy. What what the heck have you been up to? So yeah, I'm, I'm back in Jersey, which I'm so happy, not only for family and friends, but you know, the pizza game is a lot better out here and the bagels, you get it. Sure. Um, but I, yeah, I have also, I launched my own podcast, the Brianna Proof podcast and the listeners may not know, Ben and I are actually doing a podcast swap today. So he's going to be on my podcast as well. Yes. I'm excited. Psyched. And, uh, yeah, I recently finished my PhD. So I am a doctor of integrative medicine. I joke if a plane goes down, I can't really help you. Um, but we could talk about how you feel about that experience yeah. and maybe throw in some, you know, uh, nervines or essential oils. And it's been a really, uh, it's been a really exciting past few, uh, past few months, years since we've chatted. You are an absolute animal. What prompted that commitment? Honestly, it has always been a conversation my dad and I have had, like it's been our dream collectively together to get a PhD. And then I think just the nerd in me, I've always just wanted to learn more. I joke, I want to have a room one day full of all of my degrees and all of my yeah, books that will probably one day yeah, <laughs> impale on my body. And that's how I'll be like found dead, Googling like, how do I spell anthocyanins? And that will be the journey for me. And I'm excited for it. That's amazing. So what, what did you study here? And what was your PhD on? So my PhD was in integrative medicine, which was amazing because, you know, for anybody who's followed me for a while, I, I think I tried to promote this idea of like, listen, we can all play together nicely. I think in the functional wellness world, people have been fighting so long to be heard where it's like, it can only be white willow bark. And if you ever take Tylenol, you're a terrible person. And I'm like, that's not how it always has to be. And then you have the mm -hmm. quote, Western world where it's like, this is your problem. So take this drug and that's it. And it's like, life is never that black and white or that simple. And there's always a time and a place for any and all healing modalities. And so that's what integrative medicine really is. It's about integrating Western philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Chinese medicine, and finding what works for you and also evolving that as you evolve your relationship with yourself and your understanding of health and wellness and all of that. And so, you know, I'm a really big proponent first and foremost of like, we can all play together nicely, there's going to always be a time and a place for that. And so 
that's what my actual official you know title is in doctor of integrative medicine but i did my dissertation on anxiety because i think that is actually an emotion that is you know really misunderstood number one and also that's kind of been my tagline for quite some time i joke and i call myself a recovering super spaz because um sunday night brianna is something that my family has dealt with my whole life where <laughs> i would cause myself anxiety about all the things i had to do coming up for the week and you know again anxiety i think has gotten a bad rap and like any emotion it serves a purpose it's just a little bit misunderstood so i really wanted to dig deeper into that and see what the integrative approaches were for dealing and mitigating anxiety maybe you could help us quantify or qualify exactly what anxiety is and then we can talk both about the conventional approach and then the more integrative medicine approach absolutely what i actually also really focused on in um, my dissertation i think what a lot of people don't realize is that depending on what kind of anxiety you have there are actually very different protocols depending mm. on what neural pathway is activated so when you quite literally feel anxious that is more of your amygdala based anxiety. And so that is when somebody says to you, just calm down. And you're like, well, I can't right now because that requires the prefrontal cortex, which is our much higher functioning logical brain. And so that's where your traditional cognitive behavioral therapy will work, where you can do reframing sure. and brain dumps and all that, where the amygdala based anxiety is, again, you physically have that fight, flight, freeze response, the sympathetic nervous system is being activated, so on and so forth. So I like to always kind of just tell people that. And then there's also the role of stress and inflammation in anxiety and how neither of those are necessarily bad or harmful. And we don't want to eliminate either of them, but it's generally about symptoms of imbalances of both of those that can lead to anxiety as a disorder and a spectrum. So I like to always kind of give the 30,000 foot view of that mm -hmm. first, but then also letting people know you're not alone if you have anxiety. It's very common. 40 million Americans have anxiety. It is something that, again, is a spectrum disorder, meaning that you can have anywhere from acute kind of, you know, I, I heard a song or I'm going somewhere and I'm feeling anxious. I have a job interview or sure. I'm going on a date or whatever to full on, you know, panic disorders. And there's about five to seven main different kinds of anxiety. You know, there's OCD, there's PTSD, there's uh, social anxiety, which I often joke and call that my excuse to cancel plans <laughs> last minute. Totally. Um, and then there's generalized anxiety, which is actually the most common form of anxiety. Women in general are twice as likely to experience anxiety as men. But what's interesting to note about anxiety is that it's a feeling, right, of worry and, you know, nervousness, potentially, you know, being uneasy about an imminent event or something that is particularly uncertain. So many times we're uncertain of an outcome mm -hmm. and we also have physical symptoms of anxiety, right? So we can feel tense. We can feel our blood pressure changing. We can feel our heart rate, you know, kind of changing. And so anxiety disorder truly develops from this kind of complex risk of factors, which can of course include your genetics, your brain chemistry, your personality, and then life events. So it's not any one thing. So for, again, when someone's like, I'm anxious and they make a joke of it, like, yeah, it's kind of funny and cheeky, but there are a lot of other factors that go on. And it is a disorder, meaning that anxiety is more so an umbrella term than just sure. what's wrong with you. 
sounds like it has a ton to do with with your lifestyle, obviously genetics, you know, your environment, I'm assuming your diet, gut health, brain health, previous history, emotional trauma, so on and so forth, determining kind of what areas of the brain or depending on what areas of the brain are impacted. You know, my wife, and I'm going to throw her under the bus here, Christina, with one of the things she's been experiencing recently is like, and what it sounds like is this amygdala based anxiety around, she like can't drive over overpasses mm. <laughs> anymore. And all of a sudden over the past like year or so, this, this feeling is potentiated where all of a sudden she gets like this massive panic attack where it's like just going over bigger overpasses on the highway. It's like the most random thing ever. Is that something that can be common for people? Is, is that in fact this sort of amygdala based effect? Yeah. So what's interesting about the neurochemistry of anxiety is that there, again, are certain pathways that are implicated in depending on what kind of anxiety you have. It can even go into like left hemisphere versus right hemisphere. I mean, there's like a lot to go mm -hmm. in, but there's a part of the brain called the thalamus, which kind of acts as this like control center for when we're, you know, experiencing anxiety or when we're sensing things, whether we're smelling things, whether we're tasting something, whether we're hearing it, whether it's on our body, which is why things like weighted blankets, right, can actually mm. work. There's benefits to that tactile hugging, all this kind of stuff, right? And so what happens particularly with the amygdala-based anxiety and anxiety in general is that there is pairings and associations, right? So we do this subconsciously in a lot of areas of our life. When I get into the car, I don't think about having to like put a seatbelt on. It's like, oh, I'm sitting in a car. I think about it. I put mm -hmm. this on, right? So we also have this, this is, happens a lot with PTSD where I heard something, a conversation came up. I had a, a vivid dream, whatever it is, right? That's the association and the pairing that made me have a physiological response because our body now has that pathway go off and we quite literally feel anxious. And so for your wife, for example, if she, let's say for some reason, subconsciously, consciously, whatever it is, has created this association and pairing with every time I see a bridge, this has now caused me to have a physiological experience and a physiological benefit. And so this is where, again, saying to somebody, just calm down, that's not going to mm, work. What you have yeah. to do is, yeah, and you're like, babe, just I'm calm like, down. I'm like, I'm yelling she's, at her in the car, like, seriously? Yeah, like, and she's like, working. I'll I'll kill you right yeah. now. She's like, I will throw you over this bridge. <laughs> yeah. So um, that is where things like, uh, particularly for the amygdala, because this is, again, when we're having things like adrenaline, epinephrine, cortisol, right? People only talk about cortisol, but there's a whole gamut of, you know, neurotransmitters and hormones like that are involved. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we need to physically do something to put us back into parasympathetic mode. And then sometimes we need to actually recreate new associations and pairing. So there was, there was a quote, I think I saw it on like Instagram where it said, go laugh in every place that you've ever cried because think about it like think about something like a breakup right, right? you're like i can never go to that restaurant again mm -hmm. or i can't listen to this song and so this happens in anxiety too so you know creating new associations and pairings is one option um, another one is doing something to physically put us back into parasympathetic mode where we let our body know it's safe so this is why also your brain sometimes can't really handle two emotions at once why people will say things like be grateful and you're like i don't feel grateful that i'm feeling anxious right now mm. but your brain sometimes does have an issue 
worrying about a potential future problem, right? Because that's what anxiety really is a lot of the yeah. times is this, we don't truly know what's going to happen. And from an evolutionary standpoint, that was meant to biologically prime us to say, oh, well, you might die. So you might want to get out of this situation or you might need to freeze, right? People forget a lot about that fight, fight, fight flight, freeze response where, oh, if there's a bear running at me, maybe I should actually just stand still. So mm -hmm. sometimes some people freeze, right? This is also why things like, you know, breathing into bags, right? It takes your mind kind of off of what's going on. This is where you could do things like vagus nerve stimulation. I didn't study that too much in my dissertation, but there is definitely a lot of great research about even putting something really cold, you know, anywhere kind of on, you know, the vagus nerve, particularly like, you know, even the back of your neck or your chest. Yeah. Um, so maybe carrying an ice pack in the car when you're going over the bridge might be um, an option or just doing something to, you know, grounding, shaking. This is something that a lot of animals do before they fight, actually, right? Like they kind of get themselves hyped up because you're just trying to divert the energy and also the mental energy elsewhere in the body. So those are, you know, some things to do. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think what probably most of us experience on a daily basis is is a much lower level form of anxiety is I think we probably all experience this general, right, this general anxiety feeling at different times of the day at different times of the month, like whenever it is around different events and experiences. Um, and I imagine it's like you said, it's it's a very normal, very primal type of uh, emotion to experience. What's kind of like the conventional approach versus kind of the integrative medicine approach to dealing with anxiety beyond kind of what you already discussed around changing the the, the brain state based on certain activities? I think two of the biggest things that we see in conventional treatment for anxiety is cognitive behavioral therapy, which does work really well. However, that works best again for that kind of prefrontal cortex type mm. of anxiety, but patient compliance is not great with it. Something you have to really keep up with. And a lot of it, like I guess insurance providers, there's kind of, you know, some issues around that as well. And you have to be honest to be like, yeah, I got to change this and I got to work on it. Right. So there's always that level too of being like, totally. yeah, I'm going, I'm aware, but like, am I going to actually integrate these changes? Then there is also the kind of um, taking anxiolytics, right? So benzodiazepines. This also has poor patient compliance. And over time, the threshold isn't great. And what happens is that that can actually work better for something like when you're having an amygdala based anxiety, let's say, where you're quite literally feeling anxious, you take a Valium, you're going to be okay. But if we don't get to the root cause of why do we always feel anxious, what else is going on, then that might not actually work for that person who is a chronic overthinker, who has generalized anxiety, who is a worry wart, a hypochondria, who is their brain just won't shut off. That mm -hmm. actually, that might dull their senses a little bit, but that also is not going to get to the root cause of what's going on. So those are kind of the two main treatments. And then I would say, you know, over the past couple of years, we have seen some, you know, more what I call like, quote, hippy dippy stuff, which is great, like meditation. Um, but again, for some people, like for me, the idea of even thinking about meditation like makes me anxious because the traditional sense of it of like sitting there i don't enjoy it i don't want to do it so there's other forms of that you can do like walking meditation or you know laying on the ground and starfishing or call it savasana call it whatever you want right so you know there's things like that meditation mindfulness right deep breathing vagus nerve activation so there's a little bit of that um mm -hmm. and then again now more and more we are seeing some more i think of 
you know, herbal kind of therapeutics being involved. And there's definitely an herbal nutraceutical component that should be talked about that generally isn't that plays a role, of course, of, of what's going on with neurotransmitters, our central nervous system, and how our body is physiologically responding. So how much of the anxiety that we feel on a daily basis, do you think is self induced by virtue of our environment, our nutrition, our, our just our lifestyle? That's a great question. And I think when we're talking about generalized anxiety, which is one of the more common forms, I would say 90 plus percent of the time, if we're talking about again, like PTSD, OCD, things that are a sure. bit more complicated, right? Probably a lower percent, right? But for the typical person living in America, particularly <clears throat> the past two and a half years in this pandemic yeah. and whatever else has been going on, very much so self-induced. And even the idea of being stressed about stress, getting anxious that I'm feeling anxious. Like, so a lot of that, I think we've even seen a, a more rise in that because there's been light and awareness brought to the topic, which is a good thing because it destigmatizes things and it brings, you know, a level of let's talk about it and have an open conversation. But also sometimes I think people use that as a, well, I'm off the hook now. I have anxiety, so I don't have to tell you, right? Mm, so totally. it's, um, it's almost like a catch 22. Um, and then I think sometimes a really good starting point for that is, am I worrying well, right? Like, so that's a good conversation to have with yourself. How much of this worry is quote, good worry versus futile, bad worry. I don't always, you know, love the black and white approach, but I think sometimes our brains do work like that. And we want to see like, is this a legitimate fear that I have about something that I can actually control? Like, am I going to be able to put my kids through college? Right? right. And things like that. Those are, we have real stressors in life. We have real anxiety. And generally to your point, it's about feeling out of control somewhere else, or we're unsure of an outcome. Or again, many times it's about something that is potentially going to happen, or maybe already did happen. And when we're, we're worried, it's going to happen again. So imagining yourselves into worst case scenarios. Of particular interest for me is, is, gut health and anxiety because we obviously know the connection between the gut and the brain and i know you could talk for days about mm -hmm. that but maybe um you know touch on that and then let's kind of parlay that with food choices and anxiety especially and then you know when we're talking about kids as well i'm sure it's the same with kids and adults but i think it's pretty prevalent Absolutely. I love that you brought that up because I think most people's reaction to that would say, oh, I hope Brianna's going to talk about a probiotic. And that's yeah. absolutely not the route I would go because that again goes back to the problem of the Band-Aid approach. And to your point, like when we're talking about gut health, right, and the enteric nervous system, gut brain connection, call it whatever you want. Yeah, we can't probiotic our way out of the basics and out of pro-inflammatory thoughts, pro-inflammatory people, foods as well, alcohol. And then you can kind of, depending on what zealot you're following on the internet, like, you know, sugar and gluten and nightshades and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the basic boring stuff is what you have to do first before you even think about talk, talking about an individualized probiotic and then a step further, actually figuring out what strain of probiotic you right. need, not just how many CFUs that you can get down when you go. And then after that, like destroy a buffet dinner with your friends, <laughs> right? right? Like I, I always joke, one of my best friends, Lisa, like in college, she'd always be like, oh man, I just had this like hot dog and whatever else. She's like, what probiotic can I take? I'm right. like, you, you can't. Um, <laughs> nope. 
you just, you can't. Um, so I always tell people like with the gut, I mean, a lot of it does start with our brain, right? So the body is kind of always secondarily responding to what's happening with the central nervous system. And in regards to anxiety, there's a lot more conversation actually around permeability in the blood brain barrier, which of course is, you know, there is going to be a connection with the gut and all of that. But we have to think about what we're actually putting into our body. So um, this goes with our thoughts, right? Psychoneuroimmunology is an area of interest that I think is going to keep growing in that mm -hmm. field. Again, you can't probiotic your way out of that. Um, there's also going to be your diet. Like there's very basic, boring things that are going to just work for the body and not work for the body. But now I'm also seeing it kind of turn into the negative effect of everyone thinks that there has to be a gluten-free, paleo, vegan, keto version of XYZ and that everything is like going to kill you and is the devil. And that's not always the case either. So sometimes I think us being in our own heads about a lot of this stuff is actually more detrimental than just yeah. having a little bit of the real thing or sure. doing whatever you think you want to do. And then sleeping. I mean, there's sleeping, movement, play, laughter, basic dietary stuff, like what's going on individually with me, quality water, um, you know, environmental toxins, xenoestrogens, all of those have to be checked and assessed first before you even be like, oh yeah, let's just let's just throw a supplement at it or let's just take or a probiotic or whatever. Or completely eliminate gluten and dairy or all of that kind of stuff. I'm appreciative of that viewpoint. And obviously I agree with you hundred percent, but I think it's so important for parents to acknowledge that for kids that are old enough to start to learn that it's their responsibility to be empowered, to take control of their nutrition, because it does impact their health, their energy, their, you know, their brain, their cognitive function. And it's far, far greater than, as you said, just taking a digestive enzyme or a probiotic, but really comes down to, okay, what's, what's their lifestyle look like? Are they sleeping enough? What's their levels of physical activity? How are they structuring meals in the house? What responsibility are the parents taking for that? Because now I'm hearing left and right, oh, my kid has anxiety or they have gut issues. So it begs the question, of like, well, what's happening in your home environment? How are they feeding themselves? How are you feeding them? What example are you setting, right? To ensure that they're not um, reinforcing these brain gut issues. Totally. And it's really sad because, you know, for a lot of kids in America, you know, before schools were shut down for a bit and whatever else, like for some people, maybe they don't have that education at home and that's fine. And the parents are doing the best that they can juggling sure. all the other knives that they're already juggling. And so for some people, the only meal that they get sometimes is the meal at school. And then they go there and then look at the garbage that they're feeding them there. And then they yeah, wonder why shit. kids. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll go and be like, it's ADHD. I'm like, is it ADHD? or is it red 40 that's in your food and the sugar and all the other stuff and then you know as a growing kid you're not sleeping enough you don't care you know like and you know balance and all of that so it is a really bigger conversation that again i think people don't want to always go down that like that rabbit hole but that is important you know parents can only do so much at home you know i'm not a parent yet but i would imagine i would be a healthy parent and be like hey guys these are like the fun gluten-free cupcakes and like the soccer mom at the game giving out pineapple <laughs> but also they're going to go to a birthday party and want to eat real cake right so there has to be balance at some point and 
it's like, yeah, how much of that conversation can I have? And to your point, setting a good example is important of being like, this is what we eat. This is how we shop. You know, I have clients all the time. If they're local, like we go grocery shopping together and the kids come and it's fun and we learn how to read a label and we learn what's a better option. You like these chips? Well, let's look at these and compare them. So it can be fun. It can be a healthy lifestyle. It doesn't have to be again. So like, if you eat this, then you're a terrible parent. And you know, like there's enough pressure on everybody these days. Listen, there's only so much you're going to be able to control with what the kids are eating at school. Assuming they do a school lunch, it's absolute horseshit. They're going to be getting snacks from their friends when they get older and they start to go to birthday parties. They're going to be eating the cake and the candy and all that stuff. And that's fine, right? But you have the ability to be able to teach them in the home what's appropriate for them and to give them the tools to understand how they determine what's appropriate for them or not based on asking the questions around how that makes them feel and helping them make those connections. Well, I know you have three kids, you know, what has been your experience with even kind of breaching that topic of like, yeah, I'm a parent and this is the life I live and I'm trying to bring this into the house too. Like, how's that been for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. And I think early on, it was my kind of obsession of trying to be all in and like no gluten. And, you know, when Zoe, our oldest was very young, it was just like super strict household. Um, And it really didn't work out well. It was putting too much stress on my wife. It was completely unnecessary for Zoe. It was putting too much stress on me and our relationship. And it was sort of like, okay, we've got to relinquish control a little bit. Um, We make sure we include plenty of healthy and relatively unhealthy foods in the house and really just having the conversations around, listen, guys, you know, here's the things that are better for us and here's why. How do you feel when you eat those? The decision's up to you what you want to have, right, to some degree, but there's certain rules in place. It's like, listen, we're going to have a protein at every meal, right? You have choices as to which protein you want to have. We're going to try and include a vegetable, you know, when we can, depending on the meal. We're going to limit the amount of crap that we're including throughout the day, throughout the week, but we're certainly going to make room for plenty of treats. And so it's really just like over the years, it's trying to just be really reasonable, have be open and honest with them. And then most importantly, like I said, is let's just lead by example. Say, regardless of what I tell you to do, if you're doing nothing else but just watching me, am I setting standards that I want you to uphold? Yeah, I think that's such actually a great reframe too, because um, sometimes people think that they have to be like an authority figure in it always. And I'm sure parents, obviously, like that's kind of your job, but giving people the power and this goes, I think, even to clients, right? Like anytime we feel like, well, these are your only options, then you're like, don't tell me what to do. And so I'm sure as a parent, that's probably low key, like reverse psychology of being like, these are all of your options. At the end of the day, do what you got to do kind of thing. But this is what we're doing. And this is how we feel good. And I joke with my mom all the time. I'm always like, I wonder if I want to marry somebody who's like just as much of a spaz as I am, because I feel like that would be really tough. I need to have balance too. It's like, I think that's really important. I think my parents had balance with me. I think it sounds like you and your wife had balance. And that seems to kind of be one of the keys. I, I think so. And and then what we've observed is really just the kids naturally start to make better choices. There's so many cultural ties around food. And I feel like America actually does a very poor job of integrating those things sometimes. Like, you know, I lived abroad in Spain. My brother lives, you know, abroad as well. Like you go to Italy, you go to Spain, you go to these other places. Like 
They're not worried about weighing out four ounces of X, Y, Z. And they're actually doing a lot of unhealthy things. And they're eating these, quote, bad foods like pizza. I ate I eat pizza every day for like almost, you know, a week and a half when I, and I was in, you know, Italy. But we also were like chilling a lot more. We were walking around like we were yeah. hanging on the farm life. I mean, like, so I think it is important to just in general working on the healthy relationships that we have with food because it is how we bond with people. It is yeah. how we make memories. And from a childhood standpoint, too, it's like, yeah, you had a really bad day. Your mom makes you homemade, you know, cupcakes or whatever, pancakes. Like, you're going to feel better. We bring that into adulthood, and maybe we see that manifest in a maybe more aggressive way, like with, you know, emotional eating. But that obviously stems back to something, too. So I think it's important to even break down that conversation more about being like, yeah, there is a really important relationship we all have to develop with food, around food, with ourselves, and even the people mm -hmm. in our lives. I, I think what this really just relates to this whole uh, this whole anxiety topic, anyways, because again, is I feel like so much of this is self induced or or really a product of our environment, especially in America, when it's like you, all you do is when you scroll social media, you feel like you can't stack up to everything that you see. You're not as successful. You're not as pretty. You're not as 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 fit. Do you ever feel like there's at more added pressure though now because of this social media image that we all have to kind of keep up? No, that's a good question. I used to, and now I, I'm, I'm actually making it a point to go out of my way to try and establish that all of that is such nonsense. It's a great question. And I think it's really necessary for us to make sure we're we're authentically sharing that aspect of our lives so people can understand like they're humans too. Again, they struggle with the same stuff. Like we all have our fucking issues. Like we all have our 100. issues around nutrition and health and fitness and, and, and self-image and relationship with food and, and relationships in general. And it's like, listen, um, just cause you know, we have more education doesn't make us a better person. It doesn't mean we're, we're perfect. Right. But we do have the tools to be able to help you if you're in a similar situation. So with that said, I would love for you to share kind of some of the useful tools that might be able to help our listeners if they find themselves in situations where they're feeling anxious as broad of a, a topic as that is. What are some of the things that you feel like are good go-tos that they can take away? Absolutely. So first things first, sounds very simple, but checking in with how do I quite literally feel when I do X, Y, Z, or what was happening right before I started to feel anxious? Was it a person? Was it a food that I ate? Was it a song? And then also doing a little reflective work, right? Like, did I not sleep last night? Did I not eat breakfast? Right? Because I say this to people all the time all emotions are just a piece of information. It's like the weather, right? Like if I look outside and I see that it's cloudy out, I'm not going to be like, oh man, I'm pissed. It's cloudy. Like I'm going to go wear a tank top. You're going to say, oh, well, every time it's been cloudy in the past, it has rained 70% of the time. So maybe I should bring an umbrella just in case, but me being mad that it's cloudy, isn't going to change that. Right. So it's just information. So if you can kind of look at it as like, this is just an emotional, it's a little pebble, if you will, that all emotions are just languages of the body, right? We like, we know this is tale as old as time. So, you know, it's being thrown at you for a reason. So are we listening? Number one, before this pebble turns into a big boulder that is thrown at our face and then crushes us. So we mm -hmm. have to do a check-in with ourselves first. We have to also admit where we are being assholes to ourselves, right? Like, 
What am I allowing that's not actually serving me? Pro-inflammatory people, thoughts, food. These are also very important. Just as much as cutting out gluten, dairy, sugar, all of that, you have to really assess like the people in your life and the mm -hmm. conversations you're having with yourself. All of that, the daily activities that you're engaging in, that all comes first. So that's the stuff people don't like to hear because that requires taking responsibility, sitting with emotions sometimes and doing reflective work. If you're like, that's not, that's not the journey for me. I want something a bit more direct. Maybe you have done some of that work. I would also consider adding in some complementary and alternative medicine. So there's a lot of really great research on things like adding in acupuncture, also doing things like movement and play, right? So this could be something as simple as, you know, dancing or going for nature walks, you know, nature therapy. We know there's so many benefits. Forest bathing is really popular in, mm -hmm. you know, the Japanese culture because of the negative ions, right? Grounding, earthing get as hippy dippy as you want with it. But those are all free. Those are all things that you can, except for acupuncture, you have to pay for that. Um, sure. So going outside, going to sleep, very important for amygdala based anxiety, very important for your brain in general. And I understand sometimes people are like, I can't sleep because I'm anxious. I get that, which is when you can then go ahead and take a step further and maybe work on integrating some herbal, you know, support, and then some of our basic nutraceuticals. So Herbal support, you know, um, there's a big class of, of herbs called nervines, which again, they help to kind of support the nervous system. So when we say things like this person's quite literally getting on my nerves or I'm going to have a mm -hmm. nervous breakdown, right? That's our central nervous system generally being overactive. So depending on what kind of stressor you are, what kind of anxious person you are, um, you might want to think about things like, you know, skullcap or lobelia, kava root. So these are all things. Um, and if people are actually interested in learning more about this, I am releasing a befriending anxiety course in the spring, which will go into all of that. So if you want to nerd out and learn more about that, um, and then some of your really basic nutraceutical stuff. So you need your vitamin D, you need your omega fatty acids, you need your B vitamins and potentially even things like magnesium Magnesium's. and CoQ10 are going to all be, you know, really important. So those are some of your kind of multi-tiered approaches. Um, you know, and sometimes just doing less, doing less to get more out of your health is probably <clears throat> one of the best ways to start of saying, I'm juggling 10 knives right now. I need mm. to put one of them down. Which of them can I put down right now? <laughs> well, if I'm being honest, I think that's that last one's probably the advice that all of us need to hear and are probably the most resistant against. So thank you, Brianna, for an unbelievable amount of expertise and time and always so fun having a conversation with you. And I love everything that you're up to. And congratulations yeah. on the PhD and you're doing awesome and, and you're doing Thank such you. great things in our field. And it's, it's just nice to have people like you uh, spreading great information and, and helping people in such significant ways. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, I'm glad to know you and glad to share your wisdom with our listeners. So uh, keep up the good work and we'll definitely connect hopefully in another 60 some episodes, if not sooner. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening, and if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. 
3. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at SmartNutritionMadeSimpleTV.com. 4. Leave a 5-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 